All right. So this morning is a special morning uh, for, for two reasons, and one is a little bit less important, and the, and the less important one is this. Uh, I and my wife, Maria, we get a chance to go uh, on sabbatical, uh, and so this Sunday, today is uh, my last Sunday uh, at church at Bethany West Seattle for eight weeks. Uh, next week, I will be at uh, the zoo because everybody loves the zoo. Uh, and my favorite animal uh, is the elephant. Uh, I don't know what it is about the elephant. Uh, and uh, Maria can attest to this. I will avoid the reptile section at all costs. I will close my eyes. I'll walk around it. I will avoid it. Uh, so that's my least favorite. But we will be away uh, for eight weeks. But again, I will be at the zoo next week. Uh, at the end of the service, I'll share with you a little bit of what I'm up to uh, for my sabbatical. But uh, the, the even more an exciting announcement is this. Let me just set this up. Uh, we have been looking for a new staff member uh, for many months, many, many months. Uh, and lo and behold, this person, this candidate was right under our nose. Uh, she is currently at Bethany Green Lake. Uh, and I'll, she'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But uh, the, the position that we just hired for, the title is uh, the director or pastor of formation. Uh, and this person will uh, oversee the kids' ministry and the adults' ministry as far as uh, spiritual formation goes in cultivating faith in, in helping people ask hard questions and in navigating even hard situations and in hard aspects of life, asking the question, well, what, what does my faith have to do with this? And so all the way from curriculum, official curriculum to small groups, uh, really to, to even some pastoral counseling. Uh, and, and I always say this, amongst the staff uh, and any other staff, including Taylor and, and Hannah even, uh, if you want pastoral counseling, I am probably the last person you want to ask for it because uh, the people on our staff are so much more gifted than I am. So without further ado, I would actually love to invite, with a round of applause, Megan Cowell to the stage. <laughs> Grab a mic. And, and we're going to do this. I'm going to ask her a few questions uh, and then I'm going to invite her husband, Scott. Is he yeah, okay. Uh, Scott will be coming up. He's a little bit blindsided, so I apologize for that. I told him all he has to do is stand here and look pretty, uh, and we will just pray for them as a church uh, together. And so uh, the first question is this. Megan, tell us a little bit about yourself and your current role at Bethany Greenlake. Thanks, Prentice. Um, but first I have to ask or answer the unasked question, which is wolves. Wolves is my favorite animal at the zoo. My ninth, ninth or 10th birthday was spent at the Wolf Haven. It's a thing, you can check it out. Um, but my current role at Green Lake. So I have been serving for the past four years uh, as part of our hospitality team. Um, I'm currently the director of hospitality and really it's been more about stewarding a vision of seeing the unseen being a space and creating a space that truly welcomes every single person that comes through the door um, and help them to develop deeper ways to connect. So it was never just about like getting people into the pews. It was more about meeting each person, hearing their story, knowing who they are, and then helping them find what's the next thing. Um, is it healing? Is it a place to serve? Is it a place to build community? Uh, really about 
trying to find and create uh, spaces where everyone feels like they are welcome to belong to, uh, and belong. I spent, I, I started coming to Bethany when I was just out of college, so around 2010, 2011, and I came in and out for about four years without getting involved. So just came in, sat down, attended service, and then left. Uh, and that really has fueled my vision of how do we make sure that doesn't happen to other people? How do we ensure, again, that there are genuine and true spaces for people to, to not just know God, but to know one another and develop their relationships in that way? Um, and so I, I started off as a congregant as a part of Stephen Ministry, where I was able to learn more about one-on-one care and about what it does it look like to walk alongside people individually. Uh, and then the, the call to, came on, to come on staff came uh, when I was transitioning from work uh, abroad. And the call that I was hearing was uh, a necessity to, to no longer continue to travel, but to invest back into my hometown and the people around me. So at that time, I was living in Seattle. My family is from Tacoma, born and raised there. Uh, and then I signed up for this job in Seattle. And then a couple months later, turns out we uh, were going to buy a house in, in Tacoma. Uh, and so we're like, I was like, what does this mean? Uh, and so it's felt like I need to continue to, to pour into Bethany uh, as a big C church. Uh, and yet this next kind of call and transition has been more to, to draw closer to home and to places again. Uh, and for me, I think West Seattle is actually really, really quite close to Tacoma, especially when you compare it to Seattle, but Seattle proper. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing at Green Lake. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, regarding your role as pastor, director of formation, uh, what excites you about this position? What made you want to apply? Like, what is this uh, that you got yourself into? That's a great question, and I think that'll continue to be answered uh, as I meet with you all and get to know what your vision is uh, for Bethany West Seattle. Um, but the thing that really excited me was a couple months ago, I heard Prentice talk about um, depth and the hopes and vision that he has for us as a church, that we would, uh, be, a, we would be a group of people that really dug deep into what is our faith, and then how does that manifest itself out into the care of others around us. So not just faith for the sake of um, our own development, though that is important, but faith that, that really is about serving others. And so I think formation is all about that. You can't help others if you don't have your own oxygen mask on. But you also, um, I think that there's so many different ways that the world tries to provide, like, here's a self-help option, or here's, just, just sign up for this yoga class, which I've done. Uh, but, like, it, there's all these different solutions that exist, um, and how do we really dive into the, the true center of Christ and know what is it that Christ would want for our lives for the sake of others around us. So um, when it comes to formation, the thing that I get really, really excited about is that formation goes beyond our denomination or beyond even evangelical Christianity. It's like all of these different practices and ways of, of learning about God um, that we don't often get to dive into. So there's a creativity in that. Sometimes it looks like Bible study and reading scripture and all of these um, practices that we know of, but sometimes it looks like sitting in the garden or riding your bike through the mountains, or it looks like feasting, like creating a meal that everybody can sit at. Um, and so I think what I'm looking forward to is intergenerationally looking at ways that we can uh, be formed with God and with each other. So that's what I'm excited for. Uh, and then lastly, it's kind of a loaded question, but uh, what, is there a space or is there a part of your life that is just uh, aside from your family, but that's just like super important to you. Yeah, so I have, I have three things, and they all start with P, but um, people, place, and play are the three most important things to me. Um, 
I mean, beyond Jesus, like that could be the that could be the answer, right? Uh, but when I think about people, I think about I'd love to just sort of point your guys in this direction towards my very introverted family that hates this. Um, but they they came uh, to support and to be here and to meet all of you guys. And so the the people that are a part of my life, um, some of them are biological family, some are family and friends, but. The people guide who we become. Um, My mom has said so many times the people you become friends with are the ones that will influence you the most. Um, So be careful of who you make your friends with. Uh, And so when I think about that, part of coming here is making a commitment to the friendship and relationship with you all as a community. And so I wanted you to see the the people that, um, that I come from. Uh, and then also place is super important to me. And I mentioned that we found out we were moving to Tacoma and that was because my grandma had passed away and she'd asked me a million times, like, do you want to buy our house? Do you want to buy our house? And I'm like, no, no, like Seattle is our life. We're not moving to Tacoma. And then she was gone and I was like, wait, no, 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 I want to buy this house. Scott, you want to, you want to move to Tacoma? Uh, he gracefully, grace, graciously decided that we could make this happen. Um, and so we've been spending this time kind of pouring into restoring Um, helping to bring back to life a physical space. And I think what I hear in that is this call to care about our neighborhoods and to to be involved with the people that you live live near um, and that you see. So again, kind of that like seeing the unseen, seeing who is there and participating in that. Um, And then when it comes to play, I think that things like this, um, I think play is one of the ways that God speaks to people in a really amazing way. And I think children allow us to access an aspect of God that, um, that we as adults sometimes forget about. We get so caught up in daily life and what we're doing that we forget sometimes that we need to be showered with a bunch of heart cutouts or we need to make silly noises. Uh, my niece Naomi is here as well, and she make, she's a singer. So if she sings during this service, it's just because she's going to join the worship team later. Um, but, you know, when's the last time you, like, really played uh, and for me, that play sometimes looks like riding my bike. Sometimes it's like literally rolling in the grass with my dog. Um, but really, when I think about the things that are super important, um, I'm sharing them because I want to invite you into it. So I, I hope that I get to hear about the things that are important to you, the ways that you play, um, and help be a coach and a partner in that. So thanks, Rentis. Is that the people, place, and play, I think. Yeah, was there, was there something you wanted to show? Oh, I, was, I really wanted to show with you guys a, vision, or a picture of my garden, but I didn't get the slide in in time. Um, I've been digging into this dirt for like four years. It's taken four years to reestablish this soil, and let me tell you, that's super frustrating, because you're like, I just want to grow plants, I just want to grow vegetables. Um, but I think in that, I've been hearing and learning a lot about how it isn't just about like the little tiny green thing that shows up at the top, but it's really about all of what's underneath. And um, sometimes that looks like roots, the people. Sometimes it looks like uh, the dirt, the place that you're in. And then I think the play really comes out in, in digging that up with your own hands and figuring out a way mm. to um, plant a seed and let God grow it as he wants. So, um, yeah, I'd love to invite you guys to see the garden at any point if anyone wants to drive down to Tacoma. So. We have some Tacoma folks here, so uh, they may just take you up on that. At this time, I will invite Scott, her husband, up. And, and as he comes up, uh, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, this week, I told Megan, we cheated a little bit. I said, here are the two questions that I'm going to ask you. Uh, so be ready for that. And then give me a question that you want to talk about. Uh, and the third question she told me just this morning uh, but uh, Taylor and I, and really more like Taylor, was thinking about a card and a gift to, to give to her. And inside this card, Taylor got some 
seeds for her garden. Uh, and so it's, it's quite accidental and yet providential at the same time. Uh, and really to represent this new season, not just for you, Megan, but also Scott, and, and as, a, as a family, as a couple, and entering this new community. Um, and not only planting new seeds for yourself, uh, but helping others to grow theirs as well in their journey with God. And so with that said, um, we'd love to just spend some time in prayer. In fact, if, I, if, I, if you want to, if your family or friends uh, that have visited us, if you want to come up and just kind of stand around Megan, what we typically do is uh, we in, in the church will put out our hands. There's nothing magical or, or, or strange about this. It's just a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to pray along with you as well. And so uh, family, friends, if you want to come on stage and, and stand next to, to Megan and Scott, you're welcome to do that. And I will just pray uh, for this amazing family in this new season up ahead. And again, as a church, this commissioning is not just for Megan, but it's for us too, saying that as Megan, as you walk alongside us, we will walk alongside you as well. Uh, and so that is our commitment to you as a church. Uh, and so let's pray, and if you feel comfortable, go ahead and reach your hands out to say, I agree. God, thank you so much for Megan and Scott and the whole family and friends that showed up. We thank you for this uh, unique position that uh, you have called Megan to, to help uh, cultivate faith in you for others. Uh, but first and foremost, God, would you give her uh, rest? Would you give her joy? Would you give her a sense of play? So then as, I, as a byproduct of that worship, uh, she can lead others as well. And so God, continue nourishing her soul, continue to give her strength and energy and enthusiasm and creativity so that we as a church may benefit from that and draw closer to you that we as a community will be formed by the way you speak and by the way that you lead Megan into leading us. And so, God, we are excited for what's ahead. We are so thankful that, God, you are on the move here at Bethany West Seattle. We, you are on the move through our staff, through our people, through our volunteers, and we thank you every step of the way. And so, God, again, we thank you for the gift of Megan, her husband Scott, her whole family, to be part of this community. May this community, our church, be also a mutual blessing for them and for her to welcome her with open arms, to serve her as much as she will be serving us. And we'll thank you for that. We thank you for this season. We thank you, thank you, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. And if you can take a picture. Yes. Yeah. I'll. This is a special moment. All right, let's give them a round of applause. Introverted family just died a little. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. We're excited to get to know you. Hey, okay, we are continuing in this series. And as you know, we're talking about generosity uh, this morning in that 
uh, as we invite you to wholeness, to what it means to experience shalom, this harmony, this sense of harmony inside and out. We talked about different aspects of what that requires. It requires us to experience the love of God. It, it requires us to receive that love of God and to give it away freely and radically and sacrificially as Christ gave his life for us. And another element that I want to unpack today that we've already kind of talked about is this idea of generosity, that our faith, in order for us to experience wholeness and goodness and joy and contentment, is not just about what happens to us. It's about what we can do in and through what God gives us and blesses us with. And that is what we call generosity. Uh, and as uh, Taylor talked about this morning, this morning is Pentecost. Pent is, is, Pentecost is from the root word uh, or the root number, the, word, the root word of the number 50. 50 days after Easter, Jesus sends the Spirit, not just for any individual, but for a community to come together. And so it's fitting that this morning we talk about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming onto a community of believers, and this aspect of generosity that is through the Spirit that we are able to be generous with one another. And so this morning is all about what it means and what it looks like to be generous. Let's pray again real quick. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for what we're about to learn and what we are about to experience. We thank you for your spirit that was sent in the early church, and we thank you that that same spirit lives in and through us today. God, would you speak to us about generosity? Would you convict our hearts? Would you forgive us for the moments that we ha have been stingy or greedy with our resources, hoarding it all to ourselves? And give us a heart that just is so sacrificial that we just radically want to give away for the sake of others, to make an impact in our neighborhoods, to make an impact on the world, our families, our friends. May we just surrender all that we have, including the very things that hold us so tightly, like money and possessions, things that will all eventually fade away anyways. In your name we pray, amen and amen. For those of you know that I, uh, I growing up, uh, I was a wrestler all the way from high school, even before in middle school. Uh, and sometimes I'll share these stories about wrestling because I think it's so applicable. But I remember in middle school when I started wrestling, I didn't really know what was happening. I didn't know the moves. I just, my parents put me into to this wrestling team in middle school. And I remember my first match and I was going up against somebody that was really good, that, uh, from what I remember, that had ex experience all the way from elementary school. Uh, and I remember being really intimidated and really scared uh, when I was getting on the mat with this person. And eventually, as we were going back and forth, obviously, this, per this kid was much better than me. I got him into this move, what we would know as like a headlock. I just grabbed his head, and I just squeezed for dear life. And, and I remember thinking at that moment, okay, I'm doing something right. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this match. I have this guy's head in a headlock. And I just remember my coach just screaming from the, from the side, and, and he's screaming, let that go. Let it go. You're, you're not doing anything. Essentially, uh, it's not a move. And he says, you have to let it go in order for you to then advance into a different move. 
but obviously, as a middle school kid, intimidated by what might happen next, I just held on, and I held on, and, and eventually I lost that match. And I remember my coach taking me to the side, and, and he said, Prentice, I, I was asking you to let go of that move. Even though you felt like you were in the advantage advantage stage, even though you felt like you were doing something, even though you felt like you were ahead, you really weren't. Though it felt good and though it felt like, again, that you were doing something awesome, he was just saying, sometimes you have to let go of these moves or these holds that you have so then you can free up your arms and your legs and then advance to a different move that will actually have you move forward. And and I can't get that conversation that I had with my coach out of my head because I feel like this idea of, of needing to let go in order to move forward, no matter how good this holding on feels, it, it can be a metaphor for our lives in so many different ways. There's so many things that we so hold on to knowing that it's unhealthy, it's destructive, it ruins our relationship with God, it ruins our relationships with others, and, and really it ruins our relationship with our own selves. And many of us, we've experienced this unhealthy aspect of just holding on and holding on because we're afraid of what's next, even though God is saying, in order for you to move forward, you got to let go. And maybe that is unhealthy relationships. Maybe that is certain habits. Maybe that's anger that's raging inside of us. Maybe uh, it's our resources. Maybe it's our future that we want it one way and one way only. Maybe it's you fill in the blank. We hold on to it. So that, like hearts, I love that. But there's one aspect that we don't talk about, that sometimes it's kind of weird to talk about, especially in the church context. And I don't blame you or others for for thinking this is an awkward conversation coming from the church, almost hypocritical, because of the ways that we have been irresponsible uh, not necessarily Bethany West Seattle, but just as a church in general, in evangelical Christianity, it's the way we handle money and resources and our wealth. Now, we have a hard time letting that go. We have a hard time because we hold on to it so much uh, that we hold on to it so much that we miss out on, on what God has for us next because of our lack of trust because of our unhealthy desire for more and more and more and more. And, and now may I remind you that the Bible makes it pretty clear that, that money and wealth and finances in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not. So, and I would say some people are even called to live that life in order to serve others, you know? And, and if God had ever called me to be just filthy rich, I wouldn't say no. Right? I, I would say, God, sometimes I will have to take up the cross and I have to suffer. So if you want to make me rich and, and, and give me all these resources, then I begrudgingly would say yes. Right? So the, the matter of fact is this money in and, of, in and of itself is not a bad thing. First Timothy chapter 6 uh, says this it's the love of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the money in and of itself. It's the love 
of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil, and we've all experienced what money can do to our hearts, our souls, our lives. And again, we live in this, in this world, in this, in this society, in the West, where capitalism seems to be everything. And again, capitalism in and of itself also isn't the aspect that's so destructive, per se, but it's when we believe, it's the part of capitalism where we believe that the only way that we can have something is when we take something, that is when it becomes destructive. This myth of scarcity, that, that there's only enough for one. When we live in that mentality, and so we spend our entire lives just gathering and gathering and, and watching our bank account number go up and up and up, and when it goes down and down and down, we panic. We experience anxiety, and out of that anxiety, we do whatever it takes to gather more and hoard more, and, and it becomes exhausting, because it's not the money in of itself. It's the love of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. Now, we ask, what, is, what does it mean when we talk about greed? One dictionary defines greed in this way. Greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something, typically money, more than what is needed. Furthermore, greed, the word greed, comes from an old English word, gredig, uh, which means ravenous. I think that defines it really well. The word greed is the word ravenous. Or in other words, always hungry for more. In the midst of our needing to gather for security, in the midst of wanting more possessions, in the midst of wanting, to, again, upward mobility or, to, or financial stability, we enter into this unhealthy desire for it, and this unhealthy desire is called greed. Wanting more in, in, in access, more than what you need. But the reality is this. We've seen greed just take over in our world. We've seen greed take over in our own lives, not just in our individual lives, but even the world around us. We've seen greed where we've seen uh, drug and cigarette companies marketing to little kids because of their greed. We've seen oil companies uh, work and, and conduct themselves in unethical ways because of greed. Uh, whether you agree or not, I don't want to get into this. Some would say that Amazon, a, a local Seattle company, by, might I add, works in the framework of greed. There's predatory mortgage practices that we've seen that ruins people's lives because of greed. Goldman Sachs, Enron, we, Marie and I just watched this documentary, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was around this woman named Elizabeth Holmes, where she invented this, this technology, this company called Theranos, that supposedly or, or allegedly could track down different diseases or illnesses one might have by this little bit of drops of blood, uh, which was ultimately a fraud. And where does that come from? Greed for more. Whether it's more wealth or more power or more fame, there was this need for more in these companies that they wouldn't mind destroying people's lives 
their livelihoods, even to the point of death for some people, for their sake of gain, because of their thirst, their ravenous thirst, their hunger for more. Now, we may, in this room, may not identify or resonate with this, but let me just tell you something. Greed is part of the human condition. We see this from the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, where where God created the earth, the nature for food, and and everything around these first humans, and, and even that wasn't enough. So much so that they were disobedient and ate from the, the only, they had one job, not to eat the fruit uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had one job, and yet, because they felt like nothing around them was enough, that everything that God gave them was, was just not enough, that they had to eat of that fruit and experience the consequences. Greed, this hunger for more, is just a human condition. If we're being honest with ourselves, yes, we can look at big old companies and say, what you are doing is wrong and it's bad, but what about in our own lives? How have we been greedy in our own lives? Maybe it is with our resources. Maybe it's with our time. Maybe it is with our wealth. That we, all we want to do is accumulate. All we want is to look out for number one, which is yourself or myself, my family, your family, at whatever costs, even if it hurts others, even if it means cutting corners. Now, what I believe is this. There's three things that I want to point out that leads to trouble with greed. I'll call this the three troubles of greed. And it's in the story of Luke, uh, chapter 19. I want to just quickly look at the story of Zacchaeus. Number one is this. I want to say this. Greed is lonely. Greed leads us to a lonely, lonely and dark place. In the story of Zacchaeus, let me just start this off for you. It starts in chapter 19. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho as he was passing through. Now, mind you, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for his execution to be crucified. And on his way, he stops by a big uh, neighboring town uh, by the name Jericho. Uh, And in Jericho, it says this in verse 2, a man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but, but because he was so short, uh, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this uh, Luke, the writer, sets up this story by, by saying that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, here's the, here's the thing about tax collectors and how one becomes a tax collector. Uh, a tax collector is hired by the Roman Empire who had essentially control over uh, most of the ancient Near East. And what the, the Roman Empire would do in each providence, uh, such as Jericho, they would hire a tax collector to collect the taxes, particularly from the Jews, then to give to the Roman Empire. Now, the way that this worked was, was kind of evil genius. The, the Roman Empire would hire a, a Jewish person in that community to then collect the taxes from the people. And typically, these taxes were unfair. It was high, but it was out of greed. 
And the reason why one would have incentive uh, to become a tax collector, essentially be a traitor to his own people, is this. The Roman Empire would say, hey, here's an X amount of money that, I, that we want. You just collect this much for us, but, and legally, you can collect anything on top of that for yourself. So you can go around, collect the taxes. All we want is this set of amount of money. Anything above that that you charge, that's for you. That's your pay. And, and so when, when, the, when Luke says he was a chief tax collector, so there you go, that was his job, and it says that he was wealthy, is an indication that he was taking advantage of his position, of the perk that he had in his job. And so one could assume uh, by Luke saying that he was wealthy is that not only did he collect the taxes from his own people, but he charged more and more and more for his own gain. You can see that he was probably a bit unpopular around his neighborhood. People didn't like him. People didn't associate, especially the Jews, didn't associate with tax collectors for this very reason. And now what's also interesting as we read on, it says that uh, he knew that Jesus was coming to town, but because he was so short, I can resonate with that. If Jesus came to town, I would climb a sycamore fig tree too. Uh, but when, G- when, when Jesus was coming to town, you can kind of imagine Zacchaeus kind of running around saying, I want to see Jesus. I want to see this man that everyone is talking to. He's going around, roaming around. And you can kind of imagine the scene where nobody wants to help him. In this, in this world, this first century world where it's all about community and family and helping one another in that sense of community, yet nobody wanted to help Zacchaeus. And it probably had to do with the fact that, let's just be honest, nobody liked him. And nobody wanted to associate, no, nobody wanted to be friends, nobody wanted to help Zacchaeus because he was living in, in, well, people thought of him, first of all, as a traitor, because his greed caused him to unfairly tax people, get more money, even at the expense of their own suffering. And so, obviously, no one wanted to help this man, Zacchaeus. And you can imagine, though he was wealthy, he had everything. The, the Bible kind of makes a clue saying he may have had all the money in the world. He was wealthy, but he had no friends. Nobody wanted to associate with him. Greed leads us into a very lonely, lonely place. And we've all experienced this. When we have such a one-track mind, we, we forget about our families. We forget about community. We forget about even the calling that God has given to us in our lives. We forget about our vision of serving others. We forget about the goodness that we want to do. We, think, we, we forget about our ethics. We think about what is fair. We think about what is just. We, for, we forget about all those things because of our ravenous hunger for more. And what the Bible makes clear is this. When we live that kind of life, you will be lonely. 
And we've seen this. We've seen people in power who has received so much power, so much wealth, so much fame that they become paranoid and they push people away. I mean, almost every single Roman emperor experienced that, even killing their own family members because they thought they were going to be betrayed. They lived in paranoia. They lived pushing people out because greed does weird things to us, especially convinces us that we can do this alone, that we don't need anybody. And secondly, greed is exhausting. And we've all experienced this because at the heart of what greed is that we've experienced is this lie that we just don't have enough. And we've all been there. We just want a little bit more, maybe a little bit more money, maybe a little bit of a bigger house, maybe a little bit of a nicer car. And then we get it. And then what happens? Okay, 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 God, I know I said a little bit nicer. You you, you answered that prayer, great. But how about a little bit nicer or a little bit more? The, The reality is this little bit more, this myth of a little bit more never goes away. We'll always want a little bit more. When we're driven with greed, when we're just... Uh, wanting more, when we're hungry for more, we will never be satisfied. I, I remember several years ago when I uh, bought my house. I, I, was a, I was single at the time. I bought uh, a tiny little house that was perfect for myself. It was, I had a bedroom. I had a little office. I had one bathroom. And I remember just praying, like, God, I'm, I'm, in, this, I'm in this market. I want to buy a house. I've worked hard to save all this money. And God, would you just lead me to the right house? Uh, and, you know, after a rough through of being rejected, of all this and that, I finally landed at this house. And I just, I'll never forget what happened. I moved in. It was a long day. And I remember just like crashing on the couch. And I just looked around with what I believe that God blessed me with. Like, God, thank you so much. But instead of continuing on in this space of gratitude, I remember thinking to myself, Ah, only, only if I had one more bathroom. Only if I had two bathrooms, then I would be happy. Only if I had a bathroom in my room, uh, then I would be happy. And I wonder if I would have gotten that, then if the next one is maybe I need three bedrooms, maybe whatever it is. And then I had to catch myself thinking, okay, there's this myth of just a little more that becomes untrue. Greed is is not only lonely, but greed is exhausting. It's on this treadmill where you just keep going and going and going only to be disappointed. And so what do we do? What do we do about this human condition that we all have experienced? When Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, just the, the chapter before, it says, Jesus says this, if you want to follow me, you have to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And Jesus gives this, this, this illustration, and he acknowledges that those that live in greed, that those that have a lot, he says this, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. I mean, obviously that's hyperbolic language, but think about this needle Think about the eye of a needle, and he's saying for someone who has so much wealth, 
that is driven by greed, who continues to, to go and go and go to accumulate more and more and more, that person will have a hard time walking with Jesus as hard as it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And we've seen that play out even in our own lives over and over again. So what do we do? And the answer seems so simple, and yet it is so hard. We believe that it starts with the practice of gratitude. Gratitude weakens the power of greed. Gratitude for what we already have, that we don't need more. In this, in, this, in this world, in this life where we're constantly chasing after more and more and more, what if we just sat back in the space of gratitude to be thankful for what we have and to say, we ju- I don't need anything else? Because everything is a gift from God. Everything from your family to a vehicle to a roof over your head to clothes that you're wearing to our simple breath to our jobs, to the gadgets that we have, you name it, God blessed us with it. And if we can just sit back and be in the space of gratitude, that weakens the power of greed. But even deeper than the sense of gratitude is this. It's a sense of gratitude that not only has God given and blessed us with everything that we have, but God has entrusted us with what already belongs to God, to himself. I love what it says in 1 Chronicles 29. It says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are the exalted head over all. Get this, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Not only do we have gratitude for what God has given us, but we have gratitude because God's entrusted us with everything that already belongs to him. Our bank account, our money, the people around us, our vehicles. We need to change our mindset to say, you know what? These things don't actually belong to me. They belong to God. And when we are able to surrender, then we can experience freedom from greed. I'm going to invite the worship team to to come back up as we enter into a space of reflection. And how about this? What if we all just close our eyes just for a moment? Is there a place in our lives where we have experienced greed? Is there a place where we just need to ask for forgiveness? And I, and I just ask you to do this. Uh, we are taking communion this morning. If you uh, have walked in, hopefully you grabbed one of these. If you haven't, uh, will you raise your hand? I'll have Maria actually pass these out. Raise your hand if you didn't, and if you want to receive communion, and if you didn't grab one, we'll pass these out to you. 
in the moments that you think about the places that you have experienced greed in your own lives, may we think about the cross. May we think about the sacrificial, freely given life of Jesus who died on the cross for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, for the church's sake. Keep your hands up. We'll get some more to you. If you have your communion cups, will you just open up where the tablet is? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he says, take this. This is my body. Take this bread. This is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May we as a community take this together. And then he says, take this cup. This is my blood that was shed for you. Drink in remembrance of me. May we do this together as a community. God, we thank you for your life, death, and resurrection. May that be a model that we live by. May that be the example of what we strive for every day, that sacrificial, radical giving of of ourselves, of our resources. God, whether you've called us to give to the church, to an organization, maybe it's to take a friend to lunch, maybe it's to pay for lunch next time, maybe it's to give to a cause, to those that are in need in a responsible way. Whatever it is, God, would you just convict us and, and, and tell us how to serve others by giving away, how to love our neighbors, not just, not just think about it, not just only say a prayer for them, although that is important, but also to move in action with the ways that you've blessed us, 